Chapter Twenty Seven of the Hidden Hand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Hidden Hand by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter Twenty Seven. Seeking His Fortune. A wide future smiles before him. His heart will beat for fame, and he will learn to breathe with love the music of a name, writ on the tablets of his heart in characters of flame. Sergeant. When the winter's course of medical lectures at the Washington College was over, late in the spring, Traverse Rock returned to Willow Heights. The good doctor gave him a glad welcome, congratulating him upon his improved appearance and manly bearing. Clara received him with blushing pleasure, and Mara Rock with all the mother's love for her only child. He quickly fell into the old pleasant routine of his country life, resumed his arduous studies in the doctor's office, his work in the flower garden, and his morning rides and evening talk with the doctor's lovely child. Not the least obstacle was set in the way of his association with Clara, yet Traverse, grown stronger and wiser than his years would seem to promise, controlled both his feelings and his actions, and never departed from the most respectful reserve, or suffered himself to be drawn into that dangerous familiarity to which their constant companionship might tempt him. Mara Rock, with maternal pride, witnessed his constant self-control, and encouraged him to persevere. Often, in the enthusiasm of her heart, when they were alone, she would throw her arm around him, and push the dark clustering curls from his fine forehead, and gazing fondly on his face, exclaim, "'That is my noble-hearted boy. Oh, Traverse, God will bless you. He only tries you now to strengthen you.' Traverse always understood these vague words, and would return her embrace with all his boyish ardor, and say, "'God does bless me now, mother. He blesses me so much, in so many, many ways, that I should be worse than a heathen not to be willing to bear cheerfully one trial.' And so Traverse would wreck his own reed, and cultivate the cheerful gratitude as a duty to God and man. Clara also, now with her feminine intuition, comprehended her reserved lover, honored his motives, and rested satisfied with being so deeply loved, trusting all their unknown future to heaven. The doctor's appreciation and esteem for Traverse increased with every new unfolding of the youth's heart and intellect, and never did master take more pains with the favorite pupil, or father with the beloved son, than did the doctor to push Traverse on in his profession. The improvement of the youth was truly surprising." Thus passed the summer in healthful alternation of study and exercise. When the season waned, late in the autumn, he went a second time to Washington to attend the winter's course of lectures at the medical college. The doctor gave him letters recommending him, as a young man of extraordinary talents and of excellent moral character, to the particular attention of several of the most eminent professors. His mother bore the second parting with more cheerfulness, especially as the separation was enlivened by frequent letters from Traverse, full of the history of the present and the hopes of the future. The doctor did not forget from time to time to jog the memories of his friends, the professors of the medical college, that they might afford his protégé every facility and assistance in the prosecution of his studies. Toward spring Traverse wrote to his friends that his hopes were sanguine of obtaining his diploma at the end of the examination to be held at the end of the session, and when Traverse expressed this hope, they who knew him so well felt assured that he had made no vain boast. And so it proved, for early in April Traverse Rock returned home, with a diploma in his pocket. Sincere was the joyful sympathy that met him. The doctor shook him cordially by the hands, declaring that he was the first student he ever knew to get his diploma at the end of only three years' study. Clara, amid smiles and blushes, congratulated him. And Mrs. Rock, as soon as she had him alone, threw her arms around his neck and wept for joy. 
A few days Travers gave up solely to enjoyment of his friend's society, and then, growing restless, he began to talk of opening an office and hanging out a sign in Staunton. He consulted the doctor upon the subject. The good doctor heard him out, and then, caressing his own chin, and looking over the tops of his spectacles, with good-humoured satire, he said, "'My dear boy, you have confidence enough in me by this time to bear that I should speak plainly to you?' "'Oh, Dr. Day, just say whatever you like,' replied the young man, fervently. "'Very well, then. I shall speak very plainly. To wit, you'll never succeed in Staunton. No, not if you had the genius of Galen and Esculapius, Abernathy and Benjamin Rush put together.' "'My dear sir, why?' "'Because, my son, it is written that a prophet hath no honour in his own city. Of our blessed Lord and Saviour, the contemptuous Jews said, "'Is not this Jesus the carpenter's son?' "'Oh, I understand you, sir,' said Travers, with a deep blush. "'You mean that the people, who used some years ago to employ me to put in their coal, and saw their wood, and run their errands, will never trust me to look at their tongues, and feel their pulses, and write prescriptions.' "'That's it, my boy. You've defined the difficulty. And now I'll tell you what you are to do, Travers. You must go to the West, my lad.' "'Go to the West, sir? Leave my mother? Leave you? Leave—' He hesitated and blushed. "'Clara? Yes, my son. You must go to the West. Leave your mother. Leave me and leave Clara. It will be best for all parties. We managed to live without our lad when he was away at his studies in Washington, and we will try to dispense with him longer, if it be for his own good.' "'Ah, sir, but then absence had a limitation, and the hope of return sweetened every day that passed. But if I go to the West to settle, it will be without the remotest hope of returning. Not so, my boy, not so, for just as soon as Dr. Rock has established himself in some thriving western town, and obtained a good practice, gained a high reputation, and made himself a home, which, as he is a fast young man, in the best sense of the phrase, he can do in a very few years—' "'He may come back here and carry to his western home his mother,' said the doctor, with a mischievous twinkle of his eyes. "'Dr. Day, I owe you more than a son's honour and obedience. I will go wherever you think it best that I should,' said Travers earnestly. "'No more than I expected from all my previous knowledge of you, Travers. And I, on my part, will give you only such counsel as I should give my own son, had heaven blessed me with one.' And now, Travers, there is no better season for emigration than the spring, and no better point to stop and make observations at than St. Louis. Of course, the place of your final destination must be left for future consideration. I have influential friends at St. Louis to whom I will give you letters. Dear sir, to have matured this plan so well, you must have been kindly thinking of my future this long time past, said Travers gratefully. Of course, of course, who has a better right? Now go and break this plan to your mother." Travers pressed the doctor's hand and went to seek his mother. He found her in his room busy among his clothing. He begged her to stop and sit down while he talked to her. And when she had done so, he told her the doctor's plan. He had almost feared that his mother would meet his proposition with signs and tears. To his surprise and pleasure, Mrs. Rock received the news with an encouraging smile, telling him that the doctor had long prepared her to expect that her boy would very properly go and establish himself in the West, that she should correspond with him frequently, and as soon as he should be settled, come and keep house for him. Finally she said that, anticipating this emergency, she had, during her three years' residence beneath the doctor's roof, saved three hundred dollars, which she should give her boy to start with. The tears rushed to the young man's eyes. For your dear sake, mother, only for yours, may they become three hundred thousand in my hands, he exclaimed. Preparations were immediately commenced for Travers's journey. 
As before, Clara gladly gave her aid in getting ready his wardrobe. As he was about to make his debut as a young physician in a strange city, his mother was anxious that his dress should be faultless, and therefore put the most delicate needlework upon all the little articles of his outfit. Clara volunteered to mark them all. And one day, when Travers happened to be alone with his mother, she showed him his handkerchiefs, collars, and linen, beautifully marked in minute embroidered letters. I suppose, Travers, that you, being a young man, cannot appreciate the exquisite beauty of this work, she said. Indeed, but I can, mother. I did not sit by your side so many years while you worked, without knowing something about it. This is wonderful. The golden thread with which the letters are embroidered is finer than the finest silk I ever saw, said Travers, admiringly, to please his mother, whom he supposed to be the embroideress. Well, they may be, said Mrs. Rock, for that golden thread of which you speak is Clara's golden hair, which she herself has drawn out and threaded her needle with, and worked into the letters of your name. Travers suddenly looked up. His color went and came. He had no words to reply. I told you because I thought it would give you pleasure to know it, and that it would be a comfort to you when you are far away from us. For Travers, I hope that by this time you have grown strong and wise enough to have conquered yourself, and to enjoy dear Clara's friendship aright. Mother, he said sorrowfully, and then his voice broke down, and without another word he turned and left the room. To feel how deeply and hopelessly he loved the doctor's sweet daughter, to feel sure that she perceived and returned his dumb, despairing love, and to know that duty, gratitude, honor commanded him to be silent, to tear himself away from her and make no sign, was a trial almost too great for the young heart's integrity. Scarcely could he prevent the internal struggle betraying itself upon his countenance. As the time drew near for his departure, self-control grew difficult and almost impossible. Even Clara lost her joyous spirits, and despite all her efforts to be cheerful, grew so pensive that her father, without seeming to understand the cause, gaily rallied her upon her dejection. Travers understood it, and almost longed for the day to come when he should leave the scene of his love and his sore trial. One afternoon, a few days before he was to start, Dr. Day sent for Travers to come to him in his study and as soon as they were seated comfortably together at the table, the doctor put into the young man's hand a well-filled pocket-book, and when Travers, with a deep and painful blush, would have given it back, he forced it upon him with the old argument, "'It is only a loan, my boy. Money put out at interest. Capital well and satisfactorily invested. And now listen to me. I am about to speak to you of that which is much nearer your heart.' Travers became painfully embarrassed." Travers resumed the doctor. I have grown to love you as a son, and to esteem you as a man. I have lived long enough to value solid integrity far beyond wealth or birth, and when that integrity is adorned and enriched by high talents, it forms a character of excellence not often met with in this world. I have proved both your integrity and your talents, Travers, and I am more than satisfied with you. I am proud of you, my boy. Travers bowed deeply, but still blushed. "'You will wonder,' continued the doctor, "'to what all this talk tends. "'I will tell you. "'Travers, I have long known your unspoken love for Clara, "'and I have honoured your scruples in keeping silent, "'when silence must have been so painful. "'Your trial is now over, my son. "'Go and open for yourself an honourable career "'in the profession you have chosen and mastered, "'and return, and Clara shall be yours.' Travers, overwhelmed with surprise and joy at this incredible good fortune, seized the doctor's hand, and in wild and incoherent language tried to express his gratitude. "'There, there,' said the doctor. "'Go and tell Clara all this, and bring the roses back to her cheeks, and then your parting will be the happier for this hope before you.' "'I must speak. 
"'I must speak first, said the young man, in a choking voice. "'I must tell you some little of the deep gratitude I feel for you, sir. "'Oh, when I forget all that you have done for me, "'may my right hand forget her cunning. "'May God and man forget me. "'Dr. Day, the Lord helping me for your good sake, "'I will be all that you have prophesied, "'and hope and expect of me. "'For your sake, for Clara and my mother's, "'I will bend every power of my mind, soul, and body "'to attain the eminence you desire for me.' In a word, the Lord giving me grace, I will become worthy of being your son and Clara's husband. There, there, my dear boy, go and tell Clara all that, said the doctor, pressing the young man's hand and dismissing him. Traverse went immediately to see Clara, whom he found sitting alone in the parlor. She was bending over some delicate needlework that Traverse knew by instinct was intended for himself. Now had Traverse foreseen from the first the success of his love, there might possibly have been the usual shyness and hesitation in declaring himself to the object of his affection. But although he and Clara had long deeply and silently loved and understood each other, yet neither had dared to hope for so improbable an event as the doctor's favoring their attachment. And now, under the exciting influence of the surprise, joy, and gratitude with which the doctor's magnanimity— had filled his heart, Traverse forgot all shyness and hesitation, and stepping quickly to Clara's side, and dropping gently upon one knee, he took her hand, and bowing his head upon it, said, "'Clara, my own, own Clara, your dear father has given me leave to tell you at last how much and how long I have loved you.' And then he arose, and sat down beside her. The blush deepened upon Clara's cheek, tears filled her eyes, and her voice trembled as she murmured, Heaven bless my dear father. He is unlike every other man on earth. Oh, he is, he is, said Traverse fervently. And, dear Clara, never did a man strive so hard for wealth, fame, or glory, as I shall strive to become worthy to be called his son. Do, Traverse, do, dear Traverse, I want you to honor even his very highest drafts upon your moral and intellectual capacities. I know you are worthy of his high regard now, else he never would have chosen you as his son. "'But I am ambitious for you, Traverse. "'I would have your motto be, "'Excelsior, higher,' said the doctor's daughter. "'And you, dear Clara, "'may I venture to hope that you do not disapprove of your father's choice, "'or reject the hand that he permits me to offer you?' said Traverse. "'For though he understood Clara well enough, "'yet like all honest men, "'he wanted some definite and practical engagement. "'There is my hand. "'My heart was yours long ago,' murmured the maiden, "'in a tremulous voice.' He took and pressed that white hand to his heart, looked hesitatingly and pleadingly into her face for an instant, and then, drawing her gently to his bosom, sealed their betrothal on her pure lips. Then they sat side by side, and hand in hand, in a sweet silence for a few moments, and then Clara said, "'You have not told your mother yet. Go and tell her, Traverse. It will make her so happy. And, Traverse, I will be a daughter to her while you are gone. Tell her that, too.' "'Dear girl, you have always been as kind and loving to my mother as it was possible to be. How can you ever be more so than you have been?' "'I shall find a way,' smiled Clara. Again he pressed her hand to his heart and to his lips, and left the room to find his mother. He had a search before he discovered her at last in the drawing-room, arranging it for their evening fireside gathering. "'Come, mother, and sit down by me on this sofa, for I have glorious tidings for your ear. Dear Clara sent me from her own side to tell you.' Ah, still thinking, always thinking, madly thinking of the doctor's daughter. Poor, poor boy, said Mrs. Rock. Yes, and always intend to think of her to the very end of my life, and beyond if possible. 
"'But come, dear mother, and hear me explain,' said Travers. And as soon as Mrs. Rock had taken the indicated seat, Travers commenced, and related to her the substance of the conversation between the doctor and himself in the library, in which the former authorized his addresses to his daughter, and also his own subsequent explanation and engagement with Clara. Mrs. Rock listened to all this, in unbroken silence, and when at length Travers had concluded his story, she clasped her hands and raised her eyes, uttering fervent thanksgiving to the fountain of all mercies. "'You do not congratulate me, dear mother. Oh, Travers, I am returning thanks to heaven on your behalf. Oh, my son, my son, but that such things as these are providential, I should tremble to see you so happy. So I will not presume to congratulate. I will pray for you.' "'Dear mother, you have suffered so much in your life that you are incredulous of happiness. Be more hopeful and confiding. The Bible says, There remaineth now these three, faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of all is charity. You have charity enough, dear mother. Try to have more faith and hope, and you will be happier. And look, there is Clara coming this way. She does not know that we are here. I will call her. "'Dear Clara, come in and convince my mother. "'She will not believe in our happiness,' said Travers, "'going to the door, and leading his blushing and smiling betrothed into the room. "'It may be that Mrs. Rock does not want me for a daughter-in-law,' said Clara archly, "'as she approached, and put her hand in that of Mara. "'Not want you, my own darling?' said Mara Rock, "'putting her arm around Clara's waist, and drawing her to her bosom. "'Not want you?' "'You know I am just as much in love with you as Travers himself can be, "'and I have longed for you, my sweet, longed for you as an unattainable blessing, "'ever since the day when Travers first left us, "'and you came and laid your bright head on my bosom and wept with me. "'And now if we must cry a little when Travers leaves us, "'we can go and take comfort in being miserable together, "'with a better understanding of our relations,' said Clara, with an arch smile. "'Where are you all? Where is everybody? "'That I am left wandering about the lonely house like a poor ghost in Hades,' said the doctor's cheerful voice in the passage without. "'Here, father, here we are. A family party, wanting only you to complete it,' answered his daughter, springing to meet him. The doctor came in smiling, pressed his daughter to his bosom, shook Travers cordially by the hand, and kissed Mara Rock's cheek. That was his way of congratulating himself and all others on the betrothal. The evening was passed in unalloyed happiness.' Let them enjoy it. It was their last of comfort, that bright evening. Over that household was already gathering a cloud heavy and dark with calamity, calamity that must have overwhelmed the stability of any faith which was not as theirs was, stayed upon God. End of chapter 27